Who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair, yep. his ice-cold demeanor, and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you. Welcome to I Must Break This Podcast. This is the fan podcast celebrating the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Hello and welcome back to I Must Break This Podcast, the fan podcast celebrating the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. I'm your host, Sean Malloy, and on today's special interview episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with screenwriter Will Bell. But before we get to the conversation, I wanted to remind you all to please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews, especially those five-star reviews. Those always help. Uh, Also, please be sure to check out the Facebook page for the show, I Must Break This Podcast. Here you can stay up to date on the show, the career of Mr. Dolph Lundgren, and other news regarding action cinema in general. So if you're not already following the page, please feel free to like it, share it, and continue being a fan and helping spread the word. Uh, Lastly, if you'd like to get in contact with me with ideas, suggestions, or thoughts on the show in general, you can take a look at the official webpage for the show, which is imustbreakthispodcast.wordpress.com. Now, on to today's episode. Uh, This was an absolute treat, folks. Uh, Will Bell, the writer of the 2018 blockbuster Aquaman, dropped by the show to tell us about his career, especially in the world of screenwriting. Aquaman, obviously, was the big-budget tentpole release for Warner Brothers, which was based on the DC Comics' underwater superhero. Starring Jason Momoa, Patrick Wilson, Amber Heard, and, of course, Dolph Lundgren, Aquaman was a huge success and managed to become one of the most successful of all the DC Extended Universe films. Buddy, you that fish boy? It's fish man. You could unite our worlds one day. The land and the sea. I'm not a king. I'm nobody. You are part of something deeper. I can see that. Can you? always had a king. Now it needs something more. But what could be greater than a king? A hero. Aquaman. This is gonna be fun. Will Bell has an especially unique story. Prior to writing films, Bell worked as a police officer and detective for the LAPD in the 77th Precinct. He used these experiences to write his first novel, L.A. Rex, a gritty cop thriller which was published in 2006. From there, Bell began working in Hollywood, where he wrote a number of other police-themed projects, including Gangster Squad and the television shows Training Day and Deputy. This led him to getting tapped to help lend his craft in penning a draft of Aquaman for director James Wan. Will Bell was brought on board 
to help bring the superhero to life on the big screen after writer Jeff Johns thankfully made the character seem cool again in the comics. Now I should probably say uh, that I've been a big fan of Will Bell's work for a while. Uh, back in 2008, I actually remember picking up his novel, L.A. Rex, which I instantly enjoyed because it's very much akin to movies and shows that I've always loved, such as Training Day, Dark Blue, and The Shield. Uh, anyone who's also a fan of this genre, of the, of the gritty cop thriller genre, will say, uh, will certainly find enjoyment with this particular novel. So when it was announced that he was also writing Aquaman, I was excited. Uh, needless to say, I was also pretty excited to get to chat with the individual who I've been following and admiring for over 10 years. In this conversation, Bill and I chat writing Aquaman, his experience going from cop to Hollywood, and his own excitement when he found out that Dolph Lundgren was cast as King Nereus in Aquaman. He also gives us intel on his upcoming projects for 2021, one of which sounds extremely promising and intriguing. Lastly, I will be closing out the episode with a sampling of the Aquaman theme music, composed by Rupert Gregson Williams. So, for your listening pleasure, is my conversation with writer Will Bell on I Must Break This Podcast. Uh, well, yeah, like you said, uh, I really do appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. I mean, I have been a huge fan of your work for a while, actually. I remember writing you when I first read your book, L.A. Rex, and then here, here, here it is just a few years ago, you write um, Aquaman, which was one of my favorite movies of uh, 2018. So uh, thank you very much for everything that, uh, that you've contributed to my, uh, my pastimes here. Oh, yeah. I know. I'm glad you like that stuff. I mean, look, uh, you know, L.A. Rex I'm responsible for. I think Aquaman, I've, uh, it's a, it's, I'm one of quite a few writers on that one, so I can't take, uh, can't take credit for, you know, for, for in the same way I can probably for the novel. Well, regarding L.A. Rex, I mean, like I was telling you, I mean, I come from a family of law enforcement. I mean, my dad has been a police officer for well over 40 years. So um, I've always gravitated to uh, cop movies, cop novels, things of that nature. That's just kind of what I was raised on. And I remember going into a Barnes & Noble and picking up this book, and it looked like the, almost a sequel, in a sense, to, uh, to Training Day. And obviously, um, it, it, it's not Training Day, but it's very much in those uh, – in the, in the same kind of spirit, I would say, is it is it safe to say that you know there's the old uh, the old phrase write what you know, and it sounds like you literally were writing your background what you knew. Is that right? I, I think in, in for L.A. Rex for sure, for sure, and and you know I, I think you know the people have compared it to Training Day a lot. I I think you know my feeling is that most cop movies are all of my favorites, I think, and cop books, cop stories are often master apprentice stories. And, and, uh, and so, you know, what's interesting, what's a little different about LA Rex and uh, I think this is giving away too much. I don't, it is that, um, that the guy, the rookie in this case is sort of the bad guy. Um, he's actually working for the for the Mexican mafia. He's infiltrating the department for the Mexican mafia. And and the old sort of crusty old veteran training officer sort of 
the seduction is that like he sort of seduces him into becoming a cop for real, uh, which is sort of is a little bit of a reversal. But but uh, yeah, it it was uh, based uh, at least in part on my experiences working in '77 for geez ten years. So because um, it was all a pretty long time ago. Nobody's asked me about LA Rex in a long time. Well, I mean, and you have. I mean, you have a really cool story, and I was hoping that you might be able to kind of tell me about it. So you started out as a uh, working as a homicide detective, right? Before you before you went into Hollywood, was Hollywood ever kind of in your periphery vision at all, or no? I mean, you know, it's funny. I um, for the first you know five or six years that I was in the business, I've now been working in, in, in the entertainment industry as long as I was in law enforcement. And uh, I did this kind of, I had this whole rap where I, I tried to convince people that I had fallen backward into it. And it wasn't something that I had necessarily planned on doing. But it, the truth is that I'd wanted to do what I'm doing now since since I was 13. And um, And then, you know, when I got out of college, I had a yen to do something that mattered and um and you know i i like the idea of of uh becoming a cop and ended up working in in south central for 10 years and and but but the uh what actually oh wow this is gonna it's kind of sort of a long story not you you one of the first people that's ever heard this so i there was a family friend uh, uh that my mom and her brother grew up with um, who was an animator and he animated, he worked on some Disney movies and some Don Bluth movies, you know, the secret of Nim and, and American tale and a bunch of other ones. And he was the closest thing to anyone, to anyone involved in the entertainment industry that when I was growing up that I knew. And, you know, he animated all these Saturday morning cartoons that I loved and, when I was in junior or middle school, I was for middle school I was a great artist, you know, like I was by far like the best artist at St. Mary's in Walnut Creek. And I thought that I was gonna be a Disney animator. That was like actually whenever you know, up until the time I was like thirteen or uh, that's what I thought I was gonna do. And when this guy came up to visit, this dude who was really in the business came up to visit visit as he did periodically. I had sort of put together a portfolio of my stuff and um, I just got, got up the guts to show it to him and he did something great, which is he looked at it and he said, you know, I'm probably supposed to tell you that you show a lot of promise and that uh, to keep at it. And he's like, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell you right now, it'll never happen. He he's like, look, man, it'll just it's not you don't have it. It'll never happen. And and uh, I remember it, it, being sort of crushed, but also feeling at the same time like, hey, this guy's treating me like a grown up. This guy's not selling smoke. This guy is actually telling me how it is. And I knew he was a guy that you know that I knew cared about me and was a friend of the family. And I and I said, well, shit, maybe I'll do this other thing. And and at the time, 
I had somebody had bought me the illustrated screenplay for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, it, it was like, you know, that was the first screenplay I'd ever seen. I didn't really even know what it was exactly, what screenplays were exactly. And I, and the illustrations are the storyboards, which was another thing that was fascinating to me. And so I was like, oh, shit, somebody writes this. Somebody writes, you know. And I thought, well, maybe I'll do that. And and uh, and so the first thing that I wrote on a on a typewriter was uh, a sequel to Lone Wolf McQuaid, <laughs> 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 where uh, David Carradine, it's, it's only like 30 pages. It's terrible. I have it somewhere. Um, and so, you know, it was something that I'd always sort of wanted to do and fooled around with. I, um, I wrote a whole novel in college, 300 page novel in college. It was terrible. I don't want anything to do with it. And, um, and then having, and then after being, you know, at 77th for several years, the whole, the whole time I was there, I had kept a, uh, a journal and, and I sort of, took an opportunity over after a while to sort of to to fictionalize a bunch of stuff and and um and turn it into a novel and and that's sort of how I that's how I found my way out of law enforcement and into Hollywood. Well, I you know, I have to ask, you know, my last question about LA Rex is I mean, you know, the uh the lead character Marquez, I mean, he is just this is such a colorful character. I mean, he's this grizzled veteran. And I can't help but wonder, as I was reading it, because I actually read through this book twice now. Um, wow. And, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's just such a cool book. But the character of Marquez, I, I got to wonder, you had to base him on someone who you worked with at the 77th, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there, he, Marquez is sort of an amalgamation or amalgam of, uh, of a number of training officers that I had. Um, and, you know, some of them were women, some of them were, were, uh, you know, men and, and, um, I don't think, you know, I, I, I don't want to say like in particular who was, who was the model for, cause I don't want to get anybody in, in, in any trouble, but, but, um, but he was very much based on, on, um, you know, the, the, the generation of, of cops that trained me when I first, you know, came on the job in the nineties and, and, you know, those were guys who had come up in the eighties when it was a very different department. Um, and, you know, some of the, obviously, you know, some of the stuff they did was, um, you know, was stuff that would, people would never consider today. It was just, uh, it was a different time. So you you write this book, and I mean that this gets you into uh, you know the, the world of Hollywood, and so you write some cop themed uh, you know um, uh, you have Gangster Squad, and then you did a couple uh, television shows, Training Day and Deputy. How did how did these gigs? I mean, this is what I find so cool is you're doing these cop themed uh, movies and television shows, and then suddenly you are writing a big budget tentpole release like Aquaman. How did Aquaman come your way? Uh, well, that's a good question. I, the, so the, um, I wrote the first draft of, at least to my knowledge, the first draft of Zack Snyder's Justice League. And, and in, in, 
in fact, I think his more of my stuff will be left. You know, there many writers came on after, but I think more of sort of more of my stuff will be in will appear in the what do you call it the HBO Max one that's coming out. But um, but I got that gig because uh, after Gangster Squad, I, I had the movie turned out just okay, but the script got a lot of attention for me at the time. And Warner Brothers said, "Well, hey, what do you want to do? What do you want to do next?" And and I said, "Well, I know how to do Justice League." At that time, uh, Dark Knight Rises was just about to come out. I, I don't. I'm trying to remember. I don't think the Superman movie. I don't think Man of Steel had even come out yet. And my idea was that, hey, rather than rather than do the Marvel thing where you work up to Avengers, I was like, well, why don't we just introduce all of them together and then pop them out into their individual movies? And um, and so I came up with a script that, uh, they, you know, it was sort of the bones of what they ended up doing. And then... Uh, and then from there, and then you know what happens in Hollywood is they, with a with a, for for feature writers, is that they're like, hey, you turn you turn your script in, and they're like, hey, great, this is great work, thanks for loosening the jar for us, and then they pull a trap door and like pull a lever, and the trap door opens, and you fall through, and then another writer walks in, and you know, so so um, that had happened with Justice League, and I. Did some other gigs. I wrote a uh, some of them that didn't end up getting getting made. I wrote a pretty cool sequel to Conan the Barbarian, and then uh, then they came back to me for they said we're doing Aquaman, and I um, at the time I thought Aquaman was sort of goofy, um, <laughs> and, and then I read uh, and then I read Jeff Johns. Uh, his sort of run uh, on Aquaman and thought, Oh wow. Okay. I could see how this thing could be really cool. And, and um, so I did a first draft of Aquaman. Um, and then in the way things are, you know, then I, I went around, went away and did, shit, I made a TV show. I did training day and some other stuff and sort of forgot about it. And then like literally like 17 writers later, they brought me back. Um, which is sometimes happens, I guess. And, and, uh, and so I sort of, we sort of, I was sort of worked off of this time, uh, what I had done before. And then also some specific ideas that, uh, James Wan had. And, and, uh, so, yeah, I mean, the, the thing about, you know, for, at least for me, for a feature writer is that, the the cop assignments come my way or did for sure in the for, in the early you know years that I was doing it they were like oh he's the cop guy um, I think many people now when I go on a meeting are not even don't even know that I used to be a cop you know they're not it's not something that's that's um, that they're aware of which is kind of cool because it yeah. opens you up to do a lot of different stuff and especially now you know and, and um, I think that cop movies and cop shows are particularly fraught in Hollywood at this moment. Um, so, so um, it's good to be, have, be able to sort of vary your, your repertoire a little bit. Well, it's kind of similar to, uh, to David Ayer. I mean, 
uh, who's, who's another uh, screenwriter who I really respect and like. But, I mean, it seemed like all he was doing there for a period was, you know, cop-centric uh, stories and whatnot. And then he's now in the DC universe and the DC family. He was able to branch out as well. For sure, for sure. And and I, um, you know, they've done something. And I think Marvel probably, they were probably the first ones to do it, is... is um, they match filmmakers and screenwriters to subject matter, which you know, which I think is is an interesting way to approach it. And and I, um, you know, like Iron Man three, uh, they said, hey, let we're gonna do kind of Sullivan's Travels, and I, I want it to be like a like an eighties buddy movie, like a Shane Black movie. And so they said, well, shit, why don't we get Shane Black? And and um, and I think what's his name was friends with him too. I think uh, he and Downey are friends. But but the um, and you know Warner Brothers did it with uh, producer I know did it with Ayer for for Suicide Squad. And um, you know no matter you know it's it's a um, it's a movie that definitely has an identity. You know he's one of those filmmakers where it's a really forward filmmaker like you can really kind of it's you can really sort of tell a david ayer um movie is is very different than anything else that's out there and so he was a bold choice i thought now were you pretty familiar with uh the character of aquaman prior to your time working on the script because i mean you said it already i mean i think aquaman he's that character who let's face it for years always kind of had a bit of a do uh, uh, what is it you said a doofy and a dopey reputation and thanks to this movie it's really kind of interesting because thanks to the movie he is now kind of like the the badass in the dc universe the one who's getting the most attention i feel i think for now yeah i mean that was um i my experience with aquaman was um the you know the um I knew him from Saturday morning cartoons what, you know I used to watch when I when I'm 48 years old so I think or maybe 40 I'm maybe 49 no I'm 48 and I and I uh so I watched the Super Friends you know when I was a kid and uh and he I thought you know it was kind of cool that he that he could talk to fish and Black Manta was cool but yeah I thought he was silly. Um, and the guy I feel like that really deserves all the credit for making him cool again is Jeff Johns. You know, that, that dude, um, he really, you know, changed sort of, um, Aquaman's identity and his sort of position in the Pantheon so that as, as great as Momoa is and, and as great as, as, um, you know, as James is as a filmmaker, I think John's is is really deserves a lot of credit. Now, when you came on board to uh, to help pen the script, who all was attached? I mean, obviously, I imagine Jason Momoa was attached, right? Well, he was. So when I came on when I when I came on to do Aquaman, I remember I went out to Detroit, where they were they were shooting Batman versus Superman in Detroit. And I went out there to to meet with uh, the Snyders and talk about it. And and he he had just shot that 
part of Batman versus Superman where Momoa, where you can, I think there's like a, there's like an underwater, there's like a submarine has like footage of them or something, right? Batman is like fussing around on Luthor's computer and you actually see Aquaman. And uh, he had, before I saw that footage, he said, yeah, it's going to be this guy, Jason Momoa. And I was like, I, I don't even know who the hell that was. And I'd never seen the the, the Conan movie. Um, and uh, so, yeah, he was attached. Um, he was he was kind of an unknown, but um, I, I feel like Snyder deserves all the credit for that because he definitely saw, um, you know, a different way to take what that how that casting was going to impact the character. <laughs> And, and, um, and, you know, it was cool that he had like a, that he has, uh, you know, like a Samoan background and all that stuff. I thought was pretty neat. Um, so yeah, it, it was, you know, the, a lot of that stuff was decided. It's, it's interesting, like Dolph Lundgren and Julie Andrews were probably the most exciting pieces of cast that, you know, the most surprising and exciting pieces of cast of the movie. And, and, um, you know, Dolph Lundgren came, that was pretty late. And then Julie Andrews, they were already in post, right? Cause that, well, that, that monster's all CG. Yeah. That's what I want to ask you was when, because I, I have a feeling you're, you're a fan of, uh, of Dolph Lundgren as well. So when, for sure. Yeah. That was part of why, well, that was part of why I was, uh, I, I was agreed to come on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to figure out your headspace because I can only imagine, but when Dolph Lundgren comes on board this project, I mean, I know that when I heard about it, I was psyched because, I mean, first of all, it's, it's Dolph once again in a, uh, in a big budget theatrically released movie. But when you found out about it, I'm curious, did you, did you like writing the role of King Nearest, did you suddenly have him in mind and start kind of crafting many of the mannerisms and actions with Dolph in mind? How did that work? Well, the truth is I was done with the script before they cast Dolph. Okay. Um, so, but most of what, most of that guy's, most of that guy's stuff, um, you know, sort of remained, but I, you know, certain, most of the stuff I wrote for that, written for that guy sort of remained. There was another writer that came on too, and I can't, I can't swear to who wrote what actually and where Nereus is concerned, but, but, um, but I remember thinking, oh, shit, if I'd known it was going to be Dolph's, like, I would have tried to, like, you know, put some kind of flourish in there. Or, so, or, or, or I was even trying to figure out if I could sneak in, you know, like a, you know, Dark Angel reference or something. Like, I was always trying to figure <laughs> out if some Easter eggs put in there. But I never got the chance. He was the guy, by the way, that I geeked out about. I was there at the premiere. I was there with my buddy, actually, who was... Uh, is another cop that I was, he was in, I was in the academy with, and um, yeah, you know, we were like I, I don't do that as often, but we were pretty uh, pretty stoked to see Dolph at the premiere. That would have been that would have been pretty dope, I have to say. If a line from King Nereus is he blasts one of the uh, final battle or whatever, if he says something along the lines of you go in pieces, asshole. Yeah. Or something like, <laughs> so, like that. Like that, that one. I was trying to think of when you, before, when you emailed me the other night, I was thinking, I was trying to think about the, the Dolph ones. You know, I had just, uh, I was just rewatching weirdly had just been rewatching red scorpion, uh, 
like literally like the night before. And, and, uh, you know, that, I mean, that was, you know, he did some, he had some pretty cool movies. I actually think, I know this is kind of crazy, but I actually think I prefer his Punisher to any of the other ones. I agree. I, I think it's the best one. I mean, and it got maligned for years because he didn't have the skull, but in the end, I think it's the best written version in my opinion. Yeah, and I mean, I was, I, isn't like, I mean, it's been a year since I've seen it, but I remember, like in the third act, like it's a, like another mobster says, you, I, I need you to help me rescue my kidnapped son, right? Like he's, hel- he's helping another bad guy, which I remember thinking is pretty cool. And then like Lou Gossett is in it. Like that guy, it's amazing because, at, at, you know, in the 80s, he went from winning Best Supporting Actor to like then he was suddenly in these, you know, B action movies, Iron Eagle. Yeah. And, and, and um, you know, that's the other thing about I was thinking about Dolph Lundgren and, and I think Red Scorpion, I Come in Peace, um, Universal Soldier's great and, and, um, and The Punisher, but that was a time, you know, they, at that time, straight to video wasn't a thing yet, right? There, there weren't, the, a movie got a theatrical release, limited or not, or, or, you, ne- or you didn't see it. And, and, um, and the other thing about, you know, movies then is, is, and I'm sure you guys have talked about this, but, you know, part of that era was like, we would, I remember when my parents would say, let's go to the movie with no idea of what we were going to see, you would just go to like the, the man cinema in Dublin, California, and just kind of look at the marquee and look at the posters and try to sort of guess based on what was playing at what time, what was going to be cool. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's that era of movies is, is, uh, I feel like it's, it's kind of a bummer, you know, like you, I feel like there's a, a guy like, uh, Scott Atkins, you know, I'm, I think I'm worried that, you know, today, and I'm not saying Scott Atkins is Chuck Norris, but I'm worried today, you know, Chuck would be relegated to sort of digital on demand stuff in the way that some of these other guys were. And people, you know, people aren't, wouldn't get to see missing in action in the theaters necessarily. I miss those days as well. I mean, cause there was that, there was that magical period where you would go to the movies and at least I know I would, you'd go to the movies and you'd want to get there a little bit early so that you could see the trailers. Mm-hmm. Right. And there, and there was that time where you had no idea what you'd be seeing trailers for. It's just, you know, you'd be seeing the trailers for the upcoming movies. And now all these trailers are released to the internet. Immediately. So, I mean, yeah. Immediately. So if you're a movie buff like me, obviously then when you go to the movies, you already know what, 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 trailers are going to be attached to what movie and whatnot. You know what I mean? Sure. Of course. Yeah. No, it's totally true. It's, it's, and you know, and the, the trailer drops, it's almost like the the trailer is, is a, its own kind of event. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's a, it it was a, a, an interest. It's a, my, my kids will never experience movies that way. They won't ever, my kids will never discover a movie in the way that you or I did. Like I, yeah. you know, I, I went to, I remember going to, probably, you know, 82 is probably my favorite year for movies ever. And, and, um, and there was a movie, a B movie kind of Conan ripoff called the sword and the sorcerer 
starring uh, Lee Horsley and a lot of other people you never heard of. And and um, it had a bitchin' poster, like a bitchin' kind of faux Frazetta poster, and, you know, painted. And I'm sure you can look it up when we get off the phone. But but um, and I was like, we went to the theaters, and I was like, I want to see that. And and uh, the movie doesn't deliver on the promise of the poster at all. But but uh, but it's a pretty cool movie, and it's got its heart in the right place. And and um, you know, I remember talking about it when with, with other kids at school after we had come out that weekend. And you know, that's not an experience that our kids will have. It, it, it just there isn't a, there isn't room at the AMC for a movie like that to squeeze in. You know, that there's so it's it's a, that part of it. I feel like you know lost something maybe a little bit. Well, you already mentioned it. Uh, the yeah, the, the the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League is going to be hitting HBO Max. Is it uh, is it fair to say that we'll get to see some of your um, some of your craft uh, in that particular version? Well, look, I I don't know. How, you know, part of what happens is uh, what'll happen is when because um, I think the sort of the last of my the last of my stuff that I could really claim was gone when Joss Whedon came on. They had shot it, but then he, they, it was gone in his reshoots. So, I, you know, I, I, I have not yet seen the cut of this, this new cut, so I don't know what's going to be in there. But, but um, I, I, based on what I've heard, I think some of the stuff will be back. So that'll be kind of cool. I, um, but, you know, any of it, you know, none of it is um, – it's all. It's nothing that had that wasn't in the comic books. You know what I mean? It's not like I have contributed some some new crazy thing to the canon. Um, but yeah, I think some of the. I think you know. Hopefully, some of the stuff will be back. I know Dark Side will be in it a little bit, which is cool. I, I was bummed when when he when they took him out of the earlier one. As was I. Yeah, yeah. My, mine was like my original was a little bit of a. It was a little bit of a. My original original script was kind of a like a based a little bit on uh, the Elseworlds one. Is it Dark Sun? Is that the name of it? What's the one where where Dark Side like brainwashes him, brainwashes Superman, and and then turns him into like he's sort of like the Black Knight. That one, and then and then there's a there was a Justice League from the '90s that Grant Morrison wrote. Uh, when he was on that that book called Rock of Ages, that involved Darkseid, and there was like a whole cool time travel thing and everything, and so mine was sort of based, at least in part, on those, and and uh, so yeah, there was some out there stuff in mine. Now, according to the the back of uh, the L.A. Rex novel, uh, it says that you have a, a follow up book called Oh called, Jesus Christ, yeah, called <laughs> The Lion Hunters is. Uh, is um, yeah, I mean, I have, I have, um, <laughs> I have, I am way behind on on um, on the sequel. I'm about, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm probably, um, I don't know, two thirds of the way done. And uh, you know, it, it's it's uh, it's interesting because I'm a much different writer now than I was when I wrote Ally Rex, it's, and and um, and so, uh, you know, hopefully I'm a better one, but. But um, but I think this 
this will have a much different tone, I think, uh, than it, than the you know I, I think L.A. Rex was cool in a way because it was sort of bristling and it was you know in your face kind of South Central stuff, but I think it also made it uh, a little inaccessible for some people. I don't. Well, I, I run into dudes that are like, "Oh man, I love that book." I've never met a woman that was like, "I really love L.A. Rex." Like, <laughs> not. <laughs> they're like, not too violent, yeah, you know. Although my wife's never even gone through it. Yeah. <laughs> well, my wife hasn't listened to my podcast either. So. <laughs> so. Well, is there uh, is there anything else that you're currently working on? Anything we can expect to see and. In 2021 and beyond. 2021 is probably is going to be so. I'm I'm writing Beverly Hills Cop for uh, for Jerry Bruckheimer and Eddie Murphy. I'm pretty excited about that. And and um, you know, the, speaking of like the sort of theatrical experience and 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 you know where we are now. You know, Beverly Hills Cop. That movie was. I remember when that came out. I remember the phenomenon of it. I saw it multiple times in the theaters. I saw. You know, saw with my grandfather. He he never went to the movies. He actually went. Um, so there's that, and then uh, believe it or not, oh gosh, the other ones I can't even. Well, here, here I, the other ones I'm not. I can't. There's one I I can't talk about, but it is uh, a reboot of a um, of a of a classic um, martial arts movie that. Uh, when I, if if um, we get the rights and everything, I'll come back on. It's going to be pretty cool and universal. Oh, all right. Well, I am intrigued. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you so yeah, much thank for your you. time. I, I really do appreciate it. This was a fun conversation, and I'm going to keep uh, eyeballing your work, and I look forward to reading The Lion Hunters when, uh, when that finally gets released. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. All right, take care of yourself, okay? All right, you too. Bye-bye. All right, bye.